Um, well, yeah, as Nick said, welcome back to Bad Decisions. Um, we're going to be picking a guy from the Bible and making fun of what he did. And then we're all going to realize that we do the same things, and then we're going to feel bad. <laughs> but hey, you know, I got to talk to Matt Brocker for a while last Saturday, and we ended up on this series, and he gave me a cool little nugget that I want to share with you. He said, wisdom comes from experience, but it doesn't have to be your experience. So as, so as we've been reading about all these dudes who make bad choices, remember that the whole point of these, of these stories here at the well and in the Bible itself are to help us to not, to not make those same bad choices. It's, it's true that we learn way better when the consequences happen to us, but we're given all these opportunities to learn the easier way. So tonight we're going to go over the story of another king, because the kings of Israel and Judah are chock full of people who messed up, and the guy that we're going to be reading about is named Joash, or Jehoash in some other places. So we're mostly going to be in Second Chronicles chapter 24, if you would like to turn there. So Joash had a pretty crazy setup to getting to the throne of Judah, and he was actually crowned king at seven years old which means that there must have not been very many other takers at the time. And that's exactly the case. But let's pray first, and then we'll get into some background information. Oh, man, God, just thank you so much for your word and just all these stories that we get to learn for, Lord. Just, I just pray for tonight for all these people in here that your word will be open, Lord, and that you'll just speak to them in a way that we can all take something home and just apply it to our lives in different ways. I'd Pray, Lord, that you just move me out of the way and um, just let everything that's said tonight just be true to your word, Lord, and in your name, amen. amen. So, starting off, Joash's father and predecessor was a guy named Ahaziah, and Ahaziah was not a good king. He was a descendant of Ahab and walked after the ways of Ahab, and if you know anything about the kings, he, Ahab was the worst. So, 1 Kings 16.33 and Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him, even more than Jeroboam, who famously made Israel to sin. So in a long story that we aren't going to get tonight, the whole house of Ahab was actually condemned to destruction, and that meant Ahaziah too. So Elisha the prophet has a guy named Jehu anointed the next king of Israel so long as he kills the remaining house of Ahab. And he does. He kills a lot of people. All of that is in 2 Kings 8, 9, and 10, if you would want to read it for yourself. But once the news of Ahaziah's death got around, his mother, Athaliah, went mad. And as 2 Kings 11, 1 puts it, And when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the seed royal which is to say that there really were no other takers to the throne other than Joash. So Athaliah took over the throne for a while, and little baby Joash was hidden away in the temple. And now we're introduced to a priest named Jehoiada. So Second Chronicles 22, 11, and 12. But Jehoshabeth, the daughter of the king, took Joash the son of Ahaziah and stole him from among the king's sons that were slain and put him and his nurse in a bedchamber. So Jehoshabeth, the daughter of King Jehoram, the wife of Jehoiada the priest, for she was the sister of Ahaziah, hid him from Athaliah so that she slew him not. And he was with them, 
hid in the house of God six years, and Athaliah reigned over the land. So Jehoiada is an absolutely awesome dude. He organized the revolt against Athaliah, a.k.a. Psycho Grandma, that happens in 2 Chronicles 23, right before where we are. So he locked down the temple where, Je- where Joash was being kept in 23.6. He equipped captains with spears, bucklers, and shields that had belonged to King David, 2 Chronicles 23.9. He anointed and proclaimed Joash king to draw out Athaliah, verses 11 and 12. He drug her away from the temple and slew her, in verses 14 and 15. And then he makes a covenant with Judah that they should be the Lord's people and destroys all the altars of Baal, verses 16 and 17. And that leads us to our main passage. It's a bit of a lengthy intro, but I think having that information helps us see just how God was working to set up Joash and preserve the lineage of David over Judah. He's got one heck of a story, and he's got a really good uncle to help coach him. So to get started with point one, we have the promising start. So we'll be looking at the first half of Second Chronicles 24. So Joash was seven years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name, was, his mother's name also was Zibiah of Beersheba. And Joash did that which was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. And Jehoiada took for him two wives, and he begat sons and daughters. And it came to pass after this that Joash was minded to repair the house of the Lord. And he gathered together the priests and the Levites and said to them, Go out unto the cities of Judah and gather, all, gather of all Israel money to repair the house of, a house of your God from year to year to see that ye hasten the matter, howbeit the Levites hastened it not. And the king called for Jehoiada the chief and said unto him, Why hast thou not required of the Levites to bring in and out of Judah and out of Jerusalem the collection according to the commandment of Moses, the servant of the Lord, and of the congregation of Israel for the tabernacle of witness. For the sons of Athaliah, the, that wicked woman, had, brought, had broken up the house of God, and also all of the dedicated things of the house of the Lord did they bestow upon Balaam. And at the king's commandment they made a chest and set it without at the gate of the house of the Lord. And they made a proclamation through Judah and Jerusalem to bring in to the Lord the collection that Moses, the servant of God, laid upon Israel in the wilderness. And all the princes and all the people rejoiced and brought in and cast into the chest until they had made an end. Now it came to pass that at what time the chest was brought unto the king's office by the hand of the Levites, and when they saw that there was much money, the king's scribe and the high priest's officer came and emptied the chest and took it and carried it to, its, to his place again. Thus they did day by day and gathered money in abundance. And the king and Jehoiada gave it to such as did the work of the service of the house of the Lord and hired masons and carpenters to repair the house of the Lord and also such as wrought iron and brass to mend the house of the Lord. So the workmen wrought, and the work was perfected by them, and they set the house of God in his state and strengthened it. And when they had finished it, they brought the rest of the money before the king and Jehoiada, whether, whereof were made vessels for the house of the Lord, even vessels to minister, and to offer withal, and spoons, and vessels of gold and silver, and they burnt offerings in the house of the Lord continually all the days of Jehoiada. So Joash, as we saw, took the throne early. I think seven years old now is like first or second grade. A lot of you work here, and a lot of you here work in child care. So just imagine one of those little gremlins running your nation. 
Most likely, though, he ruled under the mentor- mentorship of Jehoiada and whatever counselors he had. But he did good. The Bible, rec- the Bible records that he did right in the sight of God and ruled for 40 years. That's the same amount of time that David and Solomon reigned. He even set out to repair the house of God that psycho grandma had torn up. And that worked out very well for him. They went throughout the cities of Judah to receive offerings every day until they had money in abundance. And they paid people to completely fix the temple using all the extra money to craft new vessels since the old ones were taken and dedicated to Balaam. We're not here to look at all that, though. The series is called Bad Decisions, after all. So looking back at verse 2, <clears throat> we see that Joash did, what was, did that which was right in the sight of God all the days of Jehoiada the priest. And you can see this throughout those 14 verses, too. It said, the king in Jehoiada, the king in Jehoiada, in all the days of Jehoiada, As long as Joash had someone good to follow, he did good things. His heart wasn't fully in it on his own. He was someone who was willing to compromise, given the chance. You can see back in 2 Kings 12, verses 2 and 3. And Jehoash, Joash, did that which was right in the sight of the Lord all his days, wherein Jehoiada the priest instructed him. But the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burnt incense in the high places. Not taking away high places was a problem for many kings. The tradition of high places started all the way back with Solomon, whose heart was turned by all of his pagan wives. Even the guy that we talked about last week, Asa, had the same thing said about him. 1 Kings 15, 14, but but the high places were not removed. Nevertheless, Asa's heart was perfect with the Lord all his days. God even calls his heart perfect with the Lord, despite him putting his trust in the king of Syria, rather than God later in his life. God pays special attention to false gods. It was, after all, one of the Ten Commandments. Though high places may not always mean idols, it's still a form of worship that God did not set up. And given how things ended up for Joash, not dealing with these things now came back to bite him hard later on. Ephesians 4.27 says, Neither give place to the devil. Joash gave place, and it cost him. Though not all we can, that's not all we can see, though. Look back at um, verse 5 again. And he gathered together the priests and the Levites and said said unto them, Go out into the cities of Judah and gather of all Israel money to repair the house of your God. He says, Your God, not our God, as if he was only the God of the Levites or something. Now, the Bible does say that it was Joash who decided to repair the temple. It says so right in the verse before, but I guess we don't really see the reasoning behind his decision, whether it started with Jehoiada or not. We just have that little window into his heart right there. Eventually, though, it came time for Jehoiada to die, and that means his influence over Joash died too. Without him, Joash takes a hard turn off the path that he was on, descending into wickedness, and it's a tough reminder that the people around you can influence your actions, but they can't change your heart. So we should follow and surround ourselves with godly men, but we can't root our faith in them because they won't always be around. Look at what David writes, Psalms 12, verse 1. So help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. So let's go to the next point where things start to change. That's where we see the fatal error. And we'll pick the story back up in verse 15. But Jehoiada waxed old, and was full of days when he died, and hundred and thirty years was he when he died. 
And they buried him in the city of David among the kings, because he had done good in Israel, both toward God and toward his house. Now after the death of Jehoiada came the princes of Judah and made obeisance to the king, and the king hearkened unto them. And they left the house of the Lord God of their fathers and served groves and idols, and wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for this their trespass. Yet he sent prophets unto them to bring them again unto the Lord, and they testified against them, but they would not give ear. And the Spirit of God came, came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada the priest, which stood above the people and said unto them, Thus saith God, Why transgress ye the commandments of the Lord, that ye cannot prosper? Because ye have forsaken the Lord, he hath also forsaken you. And they conspired against him, and stoned him with stones at the commandment of the king in the court of the house of the Lord. Thus Joash the king remembered not the kindness which Jehoiada his father had done unto him, but slew his son. And when he died, he said, The Lord look upon it and require it. And there's a lot to unpack here. More or less, everything ends up in a train wreck. First things first, though, I want you to notice that the, pre- that the princes wasted no time after Jehoiada died to approach Joash. Now we've heard time and time again that the, lion, that the devil is a lion in 1 Peter 5.8. And so, out of curiosity, I looked how lions usually hunt, and I ended up on wildlifefrequentlyaskedquestions.com. <laughs> Listen to this. Stalking requires the art of patience and precision. Lions can wait for hours, observing their prey's behavior and movements to understand the optimal time to strike. Any sudden movement or noise can alert the prey and result in a failed hunt. It is this extraordinary patience that allows lions to get within striking distance undetected, increasing their chances of a successful hunt. So who knows how long the princes were waiting, but the devil was watching, observing Joash's behavior, waiting for the optimal time to attack for a successful hunt. The strategy that he used is pride. After all, he knew it well. Pride was the very thing that got Satan cast down. All he wants is worship and power. But he's not, not above giving those things to people to turn them away from God. Isaiah fourteen twelve through 15. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cast down to the, to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of, of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. And just like Lucifer, the obeisance paid to him by the princes fed Joash's pride, and he followed them because they gave him what he really wanted. Pro- Proverbs sixteen eighteen: Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Here, though, is where his first compromise came back to bite him. It says in verse 18 that they left, the house of the, they left the house of the Lord God of their fathers and served groves and idols. How much would you want to bet that this stems from the same high places that he didn't remove early on in his reign? Your sins will find you out, so take care of them before it's too late. But man, even though Joash turned away, God didn't give up on him. God sent prophet after prophet to give, giving him chances to repent and turn away. Psalms 18.50 says, Great deliverance giveth he to his king, and showeth mercy to his anointed, to David and to his seed forevermore. What's really interesting about this verse is that it's literally talking about Joash. 
as the king of Judah, he is a descendant of David. And so he has promised that mercy, not to anyone else's exclusion, of course. God has more than enough to go around, but he is holding up his end of the bargain, and Joash is just ignoring it. It reaches a point where God sends Zechariah, who is the son of Jehoiada, to speak to the people of Judah. They've reached their last straw with their sin, so the God, and so God is turning away from them. But instead of repenting, the people stone Zechariah at the command of Joash. Joash has gone so far that he doesn't even pay mind to all that Jehoiada had done for him. Zechariah's last words are that the Lord will look on it and require it. The Lord sees the actions of the people and will require restitution. And the payment comes swiftly, as we see in our last point, the bitter end. So looking at verse 23 to the end. And it came to pass at the end of the year that the host of Syria came up against him, and they came to Judah and Jerusalem and destroyed all the princes of the people from among the people and sent all the spoil of them unto the king of Damascus. For the army of the Syrians came with a small company of men, and the Lord delivered a very great host into their hand because they had forsaken the Lord God of their father. So they executed judgment against Joash. And when they were departed from him, for they left him in great diseases, his own servants conspired against him for the blood of the sons of Jehoiada the priest, excuse me, and slew him on his bed, and he died. And they buried him in the city of David, but they buried him not in the sepulchres of the kings. And these are they which conspired against him, Zabad the son of Shemeath, an Ammonitus, Jehozabad the son of Shimrith, a Moabitus. Now concerning his sons and the greatness of the burdens laid upon him, and the repairing of the house of God, behold, they are written in the story of the book of the kings. And Amaziah his son reigned in his stead. So God used Judah's enemies to punish them, which is definitely not a new strategy, since he's used it throughout the book of Judges and with other kings and eventually with Babylon. But Judah wasn't totally conquered here. That wasn't the objective. God just wanted his people to repent. But, but the debt of Zechariah comes due, and Jerusalem and all of Judah are delivered to a small company of Syrians. You could almost think of Gideon and the Midianites, but the other way around. And they spoiled the land, killed the princes, interestingly enough, and left Joash alive, but in great diseases. But of course, he ends up dying at the hand of his servants anyways, for the sons of Jehoiada, which means apparently he had more than just Zechariah killed. So Joash dies without even the princes that turned him away from God at the hands of servants. God used the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. 1 Corinthians one twenty seven. And Joash doesn't even get buried amongst the kings, along with his grandfather and great-great-grandson. But look who did. Verses 15 and 16. But Jehoiada waxed old, and he was full of days when he died, and 130 years was he when he died. And they buried him in the city of David amongst the kings, because he had done good in Israel, both toward God and toward his house. Jehoiada gets buried with the kings instead of Joash, because he did good towards God in Israel. God honors those who honor him. So what was Joash's main weakness? I would argue that he placed his faith in man rather than God. So when that man died, he didn't have anything left to hold on to. The princes came along, gave him what he wanted, and he ended up following them towards destruction. As for you, there are several princes in the Bible. 
two of them are, great of, are of great significance. You have Jesus, the Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And you have the devil called the Prince of this world, John 12, 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. You can follow one, or rather, you are following one of them. Do you know which one it is? One master will have, will have you running around like Joash, searching for the next thing that brings him fulfillment. Could be a good thing. It could be an evil thing. But either way, it's temporary. Both Jehoiada and the princes left him behind in the end, and he died with nothing. But the other master has many other names. Rock, fortress, strong habitation, refuge. This master will never leave you nor forsake you. He is eternal and promises to lead you like a shepherd and, and supply your every need. Whichever one you pick, you can't serve both. The Bible says in Matthew six twenty four, no man can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon just being wealth, a thing of this world. Now, I know what you're thinking. Oi, mate, I absolutely follow God and not in man. What a silly thing to propose. And hey, <laughs> that's great. But let's, do, but let's do a little thought experiment. Take a little bit and think about your pastor, Pastor Troy or Jeff or Josh for you younger folks. Think of life group leaders like Nick or deacons. Think about the person who discipled you or is discipling you. Anyone who you, who you would consider a lighthouse in your life. Someone solid, foundational, someone who steers you back when you, go, when, they go, when you go off course. Now imagine that, God forbid, they finally say this isn't worth it anymore and walk away. Where would that leave you? Are you able to sustain yourself in God alone? Navigate the Bible by yourself. If you can't, is that a goal you're currently pursuing? Unfortunately, the, the fact is that all of them will leave one way or another. Hopefully it's done properly with transparency and a clear replacement, but it can't always be like that. The last thing that we want is for someone to leave and have anyone else's faith leave with them. So check your faith. Make sure that you follow God and God alone. Have Jehoiadas in your life and have them show you how to serve and how to serve and grow, but don't take root in them. Leaders in the church are vital, but they aren't sources of faith. The only source of faith that God has provided is the word of God. You can see that in Romans ten seventeen. That's something that Joash had available to him, but didn't take advantage of. You know, God even knew that Israel would want kings. So way back in the time of Moses, he gave rules for future kings of Israel so that they could reign with perfect hearts. Listen to this. Deuteronomy 17, 18 through 20. And it shall be, when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book, out of that which is before the priests and the Levites. And it shall, and it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep, the, to keep all the words of this law the, and these statutes to do them and that his heart be not lifted above his brethren, and that he turn not aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, 
to the end that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. So man, God wanted them to dwell daily in his word. And doing that would make sure that they were always focused on God and not anything temporary. A lot of kings missed out on this, and that's one bad decision that we can fix today. So let's learn from Joash and examine our faith. Let's make sure it's rooted in God and not in men. And let's dwell in his word daily to make sure that we stay on the right path, clearing the sin out of our lives. Let's pray. Oh man, God, let's just, let's just have that just be a prayer for all of us today. Just dwell in your word, Lord, and just make sure that you are sufficient in our lives and nothing else, Lord. This world is temporary, but you are eternal. You love us and you will always provide for us, Lord. You are the most stable foundation that we can build our lives upon. I just pray for myself especially and all of these people that are in here, Lord, that we just make that our lives from now on, Lord, and just continue to focus on you and just not not worry about the people who come up to us offering temporary fulfillments, Lord, and just stay focused on the things in our life that are of eternal value, Lord. Just, I pray for these people. I pray for the worship team, Lord, and just thank you for them and for the work that they do to just help us to worship you better, Lord, and just thank you for tonight. Thank you for all these people, and in your name, amen.